Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, the PHSA, or Potter's House Salmon Arm podcast. And I am Pastor David Bickford, and today's message is entitled The Tempter, Body, Mind, and Soul. We're going to be looking at, you know, how we go about being tempted. We'll look and see how, you know, Jesus tempted and what we can take from the scripture in order to be able to stand up against the temptation that is present, ever present in the world that we all deal with and, you know, how to, you know, better align ourselves with the way that Christ dealt with temptation. And so with that, I found a a pretty interesting illustration. It's about the Union Pacific Railroad and when, uh, at one point, there was there was a a um, you know elaborate trestle bridge being built across a large canyon in the in the west. And wanting to test the bridge, the builder loaded a train with enough extra cars and equipment to double its normal payload. The train then was driven to the middle of a bridge where it stayed an entire day. One worker asked, "Are you trying to break the bridge?" "No," the builder replied. "I am trying to prove that the bridge won't break." In the same way, the temptations that we see Jesus faced were, weren't designed to see if he would sin, but rather to prove he couldn't and that he wouldn't sin, that he wouldn't break down against the temptation. And also, it was an illustration. It was it was part of his way of showing through exampleship how we should deal with the temptation that we come across in our own lives. So let's look at that, you know, that portion of scripture, which is, you know, where we're going to pull from, it's going to be from Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13, the temptations of Jesus. So if you're following along in your Bible, it's again, Luke 4, 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give this authority and and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to, to whom I will." If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He who will command his angels concerning you to guard you, And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So before we jump in, you know, we're going to think about like, what's the point of this? Yeah, I just want to, you know, interject, you know, with a little bit of, you know, some of my early morning thoughts as I record this is that we all battle 
with temptation in our lives. And I don't want anybody to walk away from this message feeling like if you've if you've you know, succumbed to the temptations of the world that you were that you were written off, but rather that this is this is an example. Like we look at the entire Bible as a as a one flowing story from the beginning to the end with Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's important to understand that God shows us the way that we can overcome temptation, but there is always room for grace as long as we're able to humble ourselves, repent, and come back to Christ. And so that's something that I really want to emphasize is that if you failed, as we all have failed, and we all fall short of the glory of God, we are aspiring to the perfection that is Christ, but it is it's it's not believable to under, you know to ever achieve that perfection on this side of heaven but it is important to hold that standard so that we have something that is bigger than ourselves to look towards and that is you know the 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 example that we see with Jesus Christ if we look at the old testament we see kings that you know we we know to have been good kings because we're told in the scripture they were good kings they followed you know the the you know the, the the law and they followed you know the spirit that you know God was setting forth for them you know there's not a lot of good kings but we're told but even with those good kings there were failings within their life but what always set them apart was their humility about being and, and their willingness to turn back to God and to humble themselves and to repent and to and to make a you know a declaration that, you know, Lord, I can't do this without you. And so I want to make sure that there is that empathy put into this message first, that even though we're going to look at, you know, ways of overcoming temptation, it, we also want to know that there's always repentance for failing. And there's always going to be a process of restoration. Now, you might not always be able to be restored back to everything that you were you you might have lost because of failure. And we see that scripturally as well when we look at the story of Moses and how when he you know struck the rock rather than speaking to it, that sin that he had committed, you know, prevented him from being able to enter into the promised land with the rest of Israel. But that didn't take away from his relationship with with God entirely. He was able to you know still meet with God face to face and be the representative for God you know, to the people of Israel until his death. But again, just empathetically want to make sure that we understand that there is always the potential of restoration uh, even when we succumb to temptation. But let's look let's go ahead and let's look at you know what's the point? We tend to argue with ourselves constantly about what is the point. Why must we struggle? Why must we face challenges, difficulties, and troubles in our life? It is common that, you know, a common thought throughout all mankind, and it is something that, you know, it, it separates us as sentient beings from other, of you know, God's creation. You know, the animals and plants and flora, fauna, they don't trouble themselves with these concerns. This isn't the, at the very root of our human existence. This is something that sets us apart, you know, tremendously from anything else that we see in nature. And th this is at the very root and is part of the point. Jesus came to earth fully human and fully God in order to endure the hardships of humanity without sin and to show us that in him we can not only be redeemed, but have an example of the the, the purpose or, or the, the, the ability or the way to overcome temptation. Not to be weakened by temptation, but be tested and tempered by it over time. 
So as metallurgy you know, developed, it became understood that if you add carbon to iron, iron ore, you can make it a stronger metal. And that is what we know today as steel. Steel is then forged in the fire and tempered in order to be hardened, but still remain flexible enough to bend when needed. And it's still the, the idea of tempering is that it's, it's going to be able to flex, but then still snap back to its intended shape without any loss of strength. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting thing that this is, you know, we have come to understand that there are different ways of tempering or annealing steel for different purposes. And the trials we go through as Christians are for that purpose. Some of our tempered, you know, some of us are tempered for strength, hardness, sharpness. Others are heat treated with flexibility, compassion, and empathy as the goal. We're all part of the body of Christ, and it's still one family knitted together after all. So keep this in mind as we progress this morning that we are all tempted, we are all challenged, and we are all tested. We are all also built and designed for a godly purpose. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So let's jump in and work through our text. Temptation is not of the Lord. Temptation has a goal. The goal is to cause sin and condemnation in the person whom it is directed. That is what or why Eve was tempted in the garden. Satan tempts us to sin and therefore separate ourselves from God, whereas God tests us in order to strengthen us and bring us closer to him. So the first thing we'll look at is physical temptation. The devil made you know, Jesus focus on his physical body. The goal was to draw Jesus' attention away from God and onto his hunger. And as we know, he was fasting prior to this exchange, and Jesus would certainly have been very hungry after 40 days without food. In verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. This temptation was a material temptation and can be looked at as the lust for material things. Think of it this way. You could hunger for food, drink, money, or the newest toys, the ability to gain all the stuff you could ever want. All you have to do is kneel to the powers that be. This is what a lot of our current culture is fighting about. Bend to our worldview and everything will be yours. How did Jesus deal with this temptation? In Ephesians 6, 16 through 17, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In Deuteronomy 8, 3, it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which did which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is something very hard for us to understand in our day and age. We are supposed to live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That means we're supposed to be sustained by his word and, and through the word. This is why we fast and why when you fast, you're supposed to maintain a happy countenance, not like the Sadducees and Pharisees. The verse from Deuteronomy that Jesus cited was to highlight our dependence on God. Today, many of us depend only on ourselves or the government to provide us what we need to live. 
We are to be content with what God provides, knowing that in faith he will take care of us, just as he does the birds in the field. So an interesting aside here is that if we're supposed to be sustained by his word and through prayer, and, and if we're a Christian and we're not praying, if we're not setting time aside for reading the word of God and then meditating on the word of God through prayer or in our prayer time, then, then really what are we depending on? Are we truly depending on God if we, if we neglect his word or if we neglect our time of prayer? Things to consider, what feels right is not always going to be right according to God. Again, this is one of the reasons why we, uh, we need to, to wash ourselves in the word and why we need to, to you know, spend time in contemplation and prayer. Feeding your material desires can separate you from, from God. It can separate us from God and, and our dependence on him. So as we you know, strive at shopping and, and looking at all the things that we wish to have or, or going out to eat big and getting fancy dinners and all of this stuff that in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong, but they can become quite wrong when they take away from our dependence on God. And when they separate us, from God, if you are filling your life with so much activity that you're not spending time in the word and spending time in prayer, then you're missing the point. We need to have those times in prayer and those times in the word because that's that's how we, we build that dependence upon God. That way, when we're presented with troubles in our life, we're falling back onto the word. We're falling back onto that relationship with God. And that's what a lot of times the rest of the world doesn't understand is that it is a real relationship with God. I was speaking with a friend, you know, last, you know, a, a few days ago, maybe last week. And we were talking about this, how the, the world has this wrong. They think, you know, oftentimes that Christians think that they're better than other people. Oh, well, you're a Christian. You go to church now. You read your Bible. You're a Christian. You think you're better than me. And they're missing the point. They've almost got the entire idea upside down. It's not that we think we're better than anybody else. In fact, if you're truly saved, if you're truly a convert to Christ, it's the knowledge that you are not better. It's the knowledge that you're a fallen sinful creature that drives you to cling to the word of God, that drives you to cling to Christ in prayer and and in that quiet time of meditation. So really, when the world is thinking, oh, you think you're better than me, it's like, no, I've just admitted that I'm not. And so it's a, it's a huge revelation that I don't want to gloss over, is that the reason why we, we depend on God is the recognition that we're fallen and we need him. So the last thing to consider in this section is that the pleasure that comes from giving into temptation is always short-lived, a, a short-lived dopamine or serotonin hit. When you are constantly searching your next hit, whether it comes from buying stuff or whether it comes from, you know, even, even addicts who abuse drugs understand this, is that it's short-lived and you always have to go back for more. And, and the next time the hits get, you know, the, the usage is going to have to be more. You see this in purchasing stuff. You know, you just a funny thing. Another friend sent me uh some pictures of a boat and I was like, Oh, did you buy it? Because he had a placard with the boat's information, but I couldn't quite see the boat's information. And he's like, he, he said, you know, 
he was laughing. He said, no, man, that, that play, that boat is worth more than my house. But people who fall into this idea of I need to get the next big thing, they'll do that. They'll, they'll start buying stuff and putting themselves in a precarious situation because they need the next best thing. This came about in our, our family just recently because we got like a, a notification from TELUS, our cell phone provider. And uh, it was like, hey, you know, we'll give you a deal if you go on payments for the for the iPhone 15. And we started thinking about it. We we're like, well, it might not be a bad idea. And, and, and maybe it isn't in your situation. But we started thinking about, well, like, well if we put the money away that this is going to cost us because my phone is working quite fine. We could just buy the phone outright down the line and then we're not stuck with this additional payment. So the the you know the the joy that you're going to get from getting that new phone right now is going to be short-lived but then when you're looking at your phone bill being you know quite a bit more every month you're going to have this negative effect after giving in to the temptation of oh just get the quick thing real fast. Whereas if you if you're prudent and you saved for it and then you you you'd probably be able to get it you know even cheaper. You know, get get a refurbished one that that's comes direct from Apple. So it's like just as good, but way cheaper than what you would have been paying for if you went on payments, which is typically true. So the next the next thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the matter of the mind. So the next attempt of of temptation that Jesus came about was was a battle for the mind. He says that I can give you the world and all of it, all the authority. All you have to do is bow to me. Right. That's that's an attractive thing. We get this in our own lives. This is a song that we hear today with leaders from every corner of the earth. I am your guy. I am your girl. I can get you what you want. Fame, money, power, prestige, authority. All that is required is that you acknowledge me as your overseer. Here is the passage from Luke again in verse five. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all authority. That and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I find it interesting that this is the same message that is used throughout history by petty, uh, you know, and tin pot dictators throughout history Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, Kim Jong un. All demanded their vassals to bow down to them as gods. Nero persecuted the Christians heavily because they would not partake in this kind of worship. We know that in the end time, the devil will bestow power to the Antichrist too in Revelation 13 too. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a, a lion's mouth. And to, it, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. But we also know that this is short-lived authority and that the and that one that only leads to destruction. And Deuteronomy 6, 13, 14, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of people who are around you. As we look at society today, you know, we see people in the political realm trying to aspire to power to grab things, and they think that they're powerful. But then you look above that local you know, power source. So I live in Canada. And so you look above 
the, the PMO's office, the prime minister's office who governs Canada. And Canada being, you know, it's, it's an important country in the world stage, but it's still a small country in a lot of ways. We have a lot of land mass, but, you know, we're a, we're a small country. We have about 40 million people. Whereas the United States, you know, where I was born in the United States, they have, again, they have way more people, but it's like 350 roughly. I, I use very approximate numbers because we don't really have any idea. But you even with the with the power and the prestige and the might of the United States, you know, military and the government, the president holds, you know, very limited power on the entire world stage. Because then you go over to Europe and you got the European Union nations. You've got above that, you've got the the WHO World Health Organization, and and you've got all these different entities, you know banking industries like the world economic forum that control lots of power behind the scenes and within that realm you have you know some rich folks who donate to all these political parties within these different countries so it's it's always about bowing to power our local politicians bow to power of the politicians above them that bow to power to politicians above them and eventually you know they're all bowing to some power that's not even you know, that's not, that's not a man. We have to understand that as Christians, the power that we're, the only power that we're bowing to is God. And, you know, in him, Christ, our savior. It's, it's an important thing to understand. So when Jesus, you know, tells him that it's written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only you shall serve. That's the core tenet of Christianity is that, when you when you give your life over to him, he is he's your king, he's your lord, he's your savior, and you, your the rest of your life is is supposed to be designed about saying, okay, well, I'll support causes, political or or secular, but it better be in line with what my king wants, right? So that's that's what Jesus is telling you know the devil is that we serve the we serve the lord we serve the lord our god that's it and so we use the scripture we use like deuteronomy you know to basically fall back on in these weak times and say no no i don't go after other gods so like in verse 14 i don't go after other gods the gods of people who are around you no i it is the lord that i fear and it is him that I serve. And it is only by his name that I will swear. So the last point is the pride of life. In chapter four of Matthew, you can see another account of this story. But I like that Luke, um, you know, that in Luke, the second and third temptations are switched in placement. And the reason I prefer Luke's order is simple. The first temptation, temptations, or the first two temptations were a struggle of power by Satan. He was attempting to persuade Jesus by provoking him to use his power or flaunting his own power. Command these rocks into bread. I can give you all authority. The third temptation is slightly different. It's now that the devil strives to manipulate the word of God and twist it in order to get Jesus to falter. How often does this happen to us? How often will someone try to persuade us to give into material lust? And when that works, they might say, I have the authority to do it. It's okay. I give you permission to do this or that. 
I can, you know, I, I can have experienced, you know, I can honestly say that I've experienced both these things in my life. Long ago when I was in the military, it's always getting longer and longer every time I talk about the military. I'm like the the uh the college athlete that only talks about the the heyday when they were throwing the 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 you know the game winning touchdown or shooting you know the game winning you know shots in basketball so a long time ago when i was in the military it was very common to have guys try uh and get me to drink or try and get me to swear because when you actually are a convert to christ and i, I emphasize that again convert because our fellowship is made up of converts you know, we might not even grow as fast as other churches at times because we're not out seeking to, you know, just fill our churches with other with people who with other churches. We, If you're in another church, dive in and participate in your church as long as they're preaching the gospel. You know, praise God to you for that and that you would be uh, an active member of the church that you're in. But but we we strive to find people who are not saved. And, and bring them the, me- the gospel message because we want to build our churches on the, you know, on converts. So as a convert in, in, you know, in the military, I got in the military. I wasn't saved for like the first year I was there. I was living like the normal life that, you know, all young Marines do, which means lots of drinking, lots of violence, lots of, you know, debauchery. And I was ruining myself. So anyway, I get, I get, you know, powerfully saved. And I'm a convert to Christ. And so in the military, they constantly try to get you to drink or try to get you to swear. And when that didn't work, they would sometimes use their authority to demand that I swear or drink. And I I really mean that. They'd be like, you have to do this. And I'm like, no, I can't do this. You know, so these are the trials that you go through. But after all, you're, you're not, they would use like, mockery they would use guilt they'd say you're not one of us if you don't drink if you don't party or if you don't go after women you're not one of us so i can honestly say that i've had to have you know had guys who outranked me try to order me to break faith and partake in whatever they were doing so let's look at the the last temptation our story in verse nine he says that and he took him to jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on your on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed for him in until an opportune time. The devil this time attempts to use scripture to get his way. No surprise here, right? The devil quotes Psalms 91, 11, you know, verses 11 through 12, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on the other hand, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. This is something that's important for all Christians to remember, both old and new. The Bible or the devil knows the Bible better than you do. This is why we pray, read and stay within the body of Christ. This is why we are careful at discerning what is right and wrong according to the word of God. This is why we have brothers and sisters in the faith, and this is why we have leadership like a pastor and other leaders in our fellowship. The devil in the world will try to use snippets from the Bible to twist your understanding in order to get you to stumble and fall, to get you to question and challenge the Bible until you separate yourself entirely. Going back to my my story about the military is that, you know, when they're telling you, hey, 
you gotta you gotta do what we want in order to be part of the group. Some of those people, oddly enough, would be people who were raised in a Christian home. And they would start using scripture, like the common, oh, Jesus turned water into wine and all this kind of stuff. Or, you know, the funniest, you know, marijuana jokes or pot jokes is, you know, if God didn't want us to smoke it, he wouldn't have made it, you know, wouldn't have let it grow or all these kind of silly things they try to throw your way. Um, But, you know, neglecting the other parts of scripture where it tells us to remain sober, especially as we're in the end times, we're, we're called to be sober. But if you're new, if you're a new convert, you don't you don't know a lot of this stuff. So sometimes people get tripped up as a new convert because they'll come across someone who says, oh, I'm a Christian, too. They never told you about Christ until after you converted. But now all of a sudden they're a Christian and they they know the Bible better than you do. So they'll use the Bible to confuse you into into sinning. Now, that's basically what the devil was doing. He's like, oh, I know the Bible and I know you'll be perfectly fine doing this thing. So you have to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have that, you know, prayer time and that word time built into your life. Because how did Jesus deal with this temptation? Well, we go back to Deuteronomy, you know, in, in verse in chapter six, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to test as you tested him at, at Messiah. So when the devil tried and failed to use the word of God to get Jesus to fall, he fled the scene. This is true also in our lives. When others try to use the Bible to get under our skin, it's important to know you know, the Bible enough to shut it down. You have to be able to stand, well, you know what? I get, I get that this is working for you to, to, to try to say that that's okay, but the Bible I read tells me to be vigilant, to be sober-minded, to not give in you know, to, to wine or to give in to beer. It talks about you know, focusing like a watchman so that you can be there as a blessing to others. So when someone's questioning, you're saying, oh, well, you can do these things. How is that a blessing to me for you to try to tempt me? The word of God calls us to edify the brothers and sisters in Christ, not to try to bring them down to whatever level that somebody else is living at and not to test our God. So here's an example that I used to have to, you know, deal with all the time, right? And I've already said this, but it's about like the, you know, Jesus into wine. And and it's and it's so funny when people use it because it's like a mic drop. They think, oh, I've got you in a corner with this one. But they neglect to understand that in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians, you know, 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So, you know, the verse that's right before that section is saying, don't get drunk, because it leads to debauchery. And that's exactly the example I had with my life. So, if someone's saying, oh, Jesus turned water and wine, so go ahead and drink. Well, who here ever actually sees people who are drinking without getting intoxicated? Now, there might be people who can control themselves, and I'm not going to, you know, throw stones here. But for me, I know that this is not, that, that we're called to be sober. Because these steps lead to drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
And that if you start living that way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So why would I even start? So the issue that we come to is authority. Who are you going to give authority to in your life? Are we going to give authority to the people that are trying to get us to fall? We're called to give Jesus and through him, God, all the authority in our lives. That is what Jesus was saying. Do not test the Lord. God has all authority and we are not meant to test his authority simply because someone other than God came by and challenged us to do it. So in closing, let's look at five takeaways or lessons for today. No one is exempt from temptation. God does not tempt us, but he will allow us to be tested. You know, I like to think of hiking. If you only train on the flattest, easiest terrain, you will never gain strength. Think of testing as strength training and temptation as the voice that tells you it is too hard and just to quit. This is, this is a powerful statement when you think about it because I live in a, a pretty hilly area where I hike today. Salmon Arm has lots of available hills to, to, to climb. And then when you go down and you're even in like a work event, and you're having to climb upstairs or something like that. I find it like pretty amazing to be able to like just bounce up the stairs almost and see other people who are relatively in shape, you know, struggle. They're like, oh, I hate stairs. It's like, oh, shit, I love stairs. But it's because I, t I, I live to go up and down the mountains. Another thing that, you know, takeaway is temptation is not the same as sin. We all face temptation, but that is not the sin. Once you accept the temptation and hold it to your heart and act upon it, then the action is that that action is where the sin is committed. Now that can even be in your mind, meaning if you're tempted and you start fixating on the on the temptation and you start reliving it in your head and not taking it into a uh, it, not not judging it and casting it out, like if you we know that because you know Jesus tells us that if you even think of adultery with a woman or think think of you know committing adultery with a woman that is like the sin of adultery and the idea there is that you're not only thinking of it it's not a, a passing thought it's like a captive thought you've taken it and you're holding on to it so we have to be careful with that so that we're not making excuses for ourselves you know i heard i heard someone actually that you know politically is very very you know very very smart and he comes from a jewish background he made the you know he made the statement about you know certain things about pornography and it was it was like though well, that's that's okay rather than living it out but we know from jesus that if you're living it out in your mind over and over again that's that's just as bad as the sin of doing for your soul right um the next takeaway is respond to the temptation with god's word use the word to repel temptation but when that's not enough flee temptation like the story of joseph and potiphar's wife so when Potiphar's wife was pulling on Joseph's cloak to get him to, you know, commit adultery, he fled. Even though he ended up being punished, you know, by the earthly powers, he he was able to maintain his his cleanliness in the sight of God because he fled from that temptation. And then resist the devil in the power of the spirit. So this is where we go back into what I've been hitting on you know, for the whole message, for the most part, is pray, read, pray, and read the word, and then remain in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is also a lesson for us 
for those of us that are in ministry or those of us that are you know locked into a church if you see one of your brothers and sisters in christ who stops like who used to fellowship with you all the time but then they start like waning away reach out follow up see if there's something going on maybe they've you know maybe everything's okay but maybe not maybe they've fallen to some temptation and they're and they're under condemnation in their minds and work with them to try to you know reclaim them back to the kingdom in the sense that don't let people just walk walk away from the lord be there for them and remind them about redemption and restoration and grace and then the last takeaway is pursue the will of god with all your heart mind and soul pursue god pursue him with your thoughts your words your actions this is a good idea like you know with discipleship and it tags along with what i'm saying with fellowship with the point before if someone starts falling away from god work with them see if there's a way you can help them to grow in their faith take it you know take it upon yourself to work with new converts what are you going through man how's it going today how can you know how can i help maybe we should, we go to coffee we'll just talk these are all things that we want to do as we grow in our own you know ministry because we're all called to be ministers of christ we're all called to be priests of of you know the you know of jesus christ's gospel message these are all, you know, very, very easy things to understand, but we have to remember that we, we have to purpose it in our mind. We have to purpose it in our life. We have to put every, all of this stuff first and not allow temptations to derail us. But when temptations do derail, derail us, we have to remember that there's grace to cover that sin. And with that, if I could have every head bowed, every eye closed, obviously, if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. I know it's, it's a silly joke I say every, every week. But I want to give an invitation here. We're all tempted. We all fall. We're all, the Bible tells us that. We all fall short of the glory of the Lord. But it's never too late. And if this message has impacted you in, in any way, and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit dealing with your own sin, and you know that you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, but you want to, you can do that. You can signify that with an uplifted hand wherever you are. I can't see it, but God sees it. And if you mean it, then he recognizes that. And if you, if you did raise your hand, I just want you to repeat after me. Dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for my sins. I repent of my sins and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That simple prayer is just the, it's the you humbling yourself before the power of the Lord, giving your life over to him, accepting him as your Lord and Savior, accepting him into your heart. And now you are, you, you are you, by grace, you know, saved. You've received salvation by Jesus Christ through grace. And so with that now, you know, next steps, of course, is start, start reading the, the word of God, start in the New Testament where Jesus was, hear the words of Jesus, read them for yourself. You can download any app on your phone, get a good Bible translation, whether it's King James or NIV or ESV. There's lots of good translations out there. Start reading it and washing yourself in the word of God. And then, of course, find a church to lock into. Find a Bible-believing church 
and become a member of that church and you know, start building your life around this 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 life-saving you know grace that you've just received if you can't find a church if you don't you you if you live in salmon arm reach out we meet every sunday at 10 30 we have bible studies on wednesdays we have outreach and different things on the you know saturdays and throughout the week but if you don't live you know nearby reach out to me anyway we got over 3500 churches worldwide and i'd be happy to help you find a church and then at the end for everybody listening i just you know, i just really thank you for you know taking the time out of your day to listen and i i really pray that you would you know subscribe to this podcast it really helps us i pray that you like it if if it if it touched you in any way that also helps. You could leave a review. And then ultimately, I want you to share it. You know, the cry of my heart is for, for the, the, the gospel to get out to everybody. Everybody in Salmon Arm, where I'm located at. I pray that they actually hear, you know, the undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ. But beyond Salmon Arm, I have, you know, I pray for, you know, all of British Columbia, all of Canada, all of North America, and the whole world to be touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I have a vision of someday having this church be able to send missionaries out to other countries, to other places in the world so that we can continue to have the gospel message being preached everywhere. Have other churches from this work to be sent out in other parts of Canada, to have, you know, have them sent in even into the States, you know, where I come from originally. We have lots of churches, but I do know that there are lots of communities that need more churches. You might not think that if you're you're new to Christ, you might think there's churches everywhere. But how how many times have you actually heard the gospel message? How many times has someone actually come to you on the street and actually told you about Jesus Christ? Because that's what we're trying to do is we want converts to Christ. We want people to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you can, you know, subscribe, like, and share, that really helps us get this message out. And uh, I want to thank you again for listening. And I can't wait for you to come back next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.